This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, and with me, live and in living color, is my very own wife, Sierra. Say hello to the new goons from beyond. Hey, goons. So this is the first time I've recorded with another person uh, since your dad, and before that, it had been a while. So thank you for <laughs> subjecting yourself to this. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah. So I picked a movie where I could talk for an hour by myself. <laughs> So you don't have to do as much of a favor for me. Mm. And I don't think you realized how obsessed I was with this movie. No, I did not. So I counted down and I tried to recount every version of this film I've had. I had at least two different VHS. I had at least five different DVD. And now because if you have a Blu-ray, because you we're sitting there squabbling back and forth. Where I'm like, well, I'm going to get the Blu-ray because somebody didn't return my DVD. Because I always give the DVD away because I'm like, hey, you got to see it. It's better than the first one. And people take it. And then they probably use it as a coaster or something because they disagree with me. And so I couldn't find it. And you're like, but you, you've you seen this movie. You can just download it. You could borrow it. We could whatever. And then you, you spoiled me with it. So now is the time to come out and say, I knew where the DVD was all along. I just needed an excuse to upgrade to HD. So thank you very much. You are lying to me right I am. now. I, it was only $10. So we would be so mad. mad. Exactly. <laughs> of course, the day that we have that squabble, my parents come over and give us a bunch of weird shit from my childhood, which I'm just like, why? I escaped my childhood once. I don't want to go For back. For Christmas, by the way. Yeah, as that, Christmas gifts. These are the, <laughs> <laughs> my, my very valuable Christmas gifts that I, I love and will cherish forever and always. And amidst those is literally my book from Gremlins 2 that is worn out. Like looking back at it, the pages are all frayed and terrible, but like the cover is pristine. So I, I at least tried to take care of it. I put miles on it from use and love and just painstakingly looking over these images. I think that's when I realized <laughs> that your obsession had just been... For a very long time. It wasn't just like a fleeting thing. Oh, yeah. Because you had even said, like, what was the last things. time we watched it? And I was yeah. like, I watched it. <laughs> so here's the fun fact. <laughs> I told you I watched it once when Jim and I did Gremlins last year or actually two years ago. Now, oh, in actuality, I watched it twice because I, it's like an addiction. You watch it once. You're like, God, I really want to go back and watch that scene. And then before you know it, you've dedicated a few hours. I wish we did. Yeah. Well, yeah, we did watch it twice. Well, I watched it twice. You watched it one and a half times over the span of like three nights. So it's cool. How did you like it? <laughs> I liked it better the second time. Because you stayed away. Well, the first, yeah, the and first full time. <laughs> do you like it as much more or less than the original? I knew you were going to ask me that question and I still haven't decided. I mean, I think I like the second one better, but then, but it's, I, I feel like it's probably because I watched it sooner. Like I haven't seen the original Gremlins in a very long time, but I did have, two dogs growing up named Gadget and Gizmo. So I have liked it previous to now. I just, I don't know. You know, there's always like that, that problem with it being a sequel yep. and you're like, it can't be as good as the first one, but I almost feel like it was just as good, if not better. Yeah. I very easily explained it this way to somebody recently. Uh, the, what we do in the shadows TV show compared to the film. Mm. Right. You can't have the TV show without having the film because it relies so heavily on that style of structure and everything. Mm -hmm. But it improves upon it and expands upon it in a way that you couldn't do in the original. You know, because in the original, you're just introducing the concept of Mogwai. You're just introducing the concept of the rules. So you can't extrapolate on that too much without going off into the weeds. So here it's done. Right. In the first time that Billy talks to Kate, he's just like, all right, remember the rules. OK, the rules. Bop, 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 done. They don't waste your time with the the pretense and, uh, the, you know, it's not, you know, I saw another person on Reddit was torturing someone talking shit and the person said, you're the reason why we have to watch Batman's parents die in every fucking movie. Because talking down to somebody like, you can't just accept it and move on. Like, mm -hmm. you have to, why should we, we be reinformed, right? Right. And so that's one of the things that I really appreciate about this movie is I will completely concede this movie can't exist and be this good unless you have the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I definitely liked the character design better in in the second one Yeah, compared to the first. I mean, the characters in the second one are just like beyond cool. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe. I was trying. I was going to try and be eloquent, but they're just super detailed and yep. like gooey. And I don't so know. Rad. It's just they're awesome. 
and their literary references. I don't think I told you this, but you know the three like kind of goony type gremlins that start off as Mogwai, and you yeah. the goofy eyes. So the goofy eyed one's name's Daffy, and he's just crazy. But the other two are George and Lenny, which is a reference to oh. Steinbeck's of Mice and Men. Yeah. And it totally fits their dynamic, the whole movie. Is that their name? They're named that or? Yes. Okay. But it, they've never stayed on screen. Yeah, yeah. Just like the Stripe character in this is actually called Mohawk. They never call him that, or but most people just call him the Spider Gremlin. Is that how it's credited at the end? As they're with the names, or how did you know that? I knew that from books and reading online oh, okay. and wikis and stuff like that. Okay. Like, this is a movie where I was afraid to do research because I just, I could go off on everything. Like, I could dissect scenes and deleted scenes and stuff. And what was great about the Blu ray we got, I don't know. Like I said, I had two copies of VHS. I don't know how I got those copies because the versions that we had were the theatrical version that had Hulk Hogan. And then we watched the Blu-ray and it had the VHS version, mm-hmm. which is a parody with John Wayne and it's Western. Yeah, and I was like, that was what? awesome. <laughs> it is so great. And it's amazing. And so this was like such a gift. And so like I could dissect that and talk. This could be the Gremlins to the New Batch podcast. And I'd be completely fine with that. <laughs> and if you guys think I'm gargling the nuts of this movie in my mouth. Yeah, I'm unapologetic. This is my favorite movie we've ever done on the show. That includes Blood Diner. But I mean, obviously, I grew up with this. If I would have grown up with Bloodliner, it might be in contention. But this movie is just its like the perfect movie for me. And it's not just that it's silly. It's not just that it's scary. It's also the technical elements, which goes to what you said. Rick Baker almost didn't do this movie because he's like, what do I care? I'm just going to recreate the same gremlins. Mm. And so he gets to see the script. and He's like, oh, I get to do what? I get to experiment with this. I get to make that. And so that's what brought him back. So literally, like the craft of the movie is what facilitated it. Mm hmm. Were they different writers or the similar, like the same writers as the first? So Chris Columbus was actually doing Home Alone at this time. Okay. So he did not write this one. Well, so, I mean, to its benefit, I think, because, you know, getting a different perspective and clearly like a different story allowed them to expand and kind of use their imagination with yeah the characters and... The film is very reminiscent of like sketch comedy shows and mm-hmm. movies like the Kids in the Hall movie, for instance, and stuff where it's these little bits that are kind of put together. Like Wayne's World mm-hmm. very similarly fits that kind of theme. And so the screenwriter was Charlie Haas, not to be confused with the pro wrestler who was paired up with Shelton Benjamin for years. And this guy had a very minimal experience when it came to writing. Mm. So it's one of those things where it's like the chicken or the egg. Like with the original script, I remember reading a lot about you know them figuring out how to do the gags. Each gag, like, oh, well, here's Stripe going through the department store. They figured that out the night before they filmed it, you know? And so this, it's almost like your story facilitates like, oh, we have all of these great designs figured out. I, but it, it couldn't have been that way because what got Baker was the script. So it's so interesting to me. Like, I would love to be a fly on the wall during production because I'm sure that everything was fluid. Like it had to, you know, ramp up on one side and the story elements had to get grander. And then you had to have the technical elements get grander and kind of, I don't know, it's weird, but I love it so much. Well, and it's just, I mean, and when you're adding all of these things, like the puppetry and everything else is just so much more complicated and you know detailed so it truly is a feat you know of just figuring out how to facilitate the writer and creature design or well then it's also you have all the greatest ideas in the world but how do you effectuate them you know there's a great wiki that has pictures of the concept art and actual sculpts of other gremlins that weren't even used there was one that was like a rhino and one that was like an elephant which would go from the splice of life lab uh, but they were just never done no i don't no i'm glad those were cut out that sounds like a terrible idea but there's an elephant in it no it facilitates it goes one to the other that's your i remember the like the elephant in the lab you mean yeah yeah still no well i'll move on then (laughs) what was your favorite mutant gremlin the fact that you're actually painting over this makes me so happy because I have such a hard time. If you ask me at six o'clock in the morning versus six o'clock in the evening, you'll probably get a different answer from me because it's like my children who <laughs> officially, if they ever listen to this, there is no favorite. It's Aurora. <laughs> she can talk. She's fun. The other one just shits a lot, but he'll catch up. I'm sure. <laughs> um, I don't know. There, there were so many like fun designs. I liked the, what was like the spiky looking one? 
So that would be the stripe slash mohawk guy. Yeah. Who becomes the spider. Okay. And so that it's an homage to the original because if you remember the original stripe, it's just slightly different. And then when he becomes the gremlin, he actually has the fluff. And then he's the one who dies at the very end, who jumps in the pool and everything. He's basically the enemy. And in this one, it's odd because because you have so many different narrative arcs going, he's not the crescendo. And almost the brain gremlin becomes like the leader, but it's that kind of that Mohawk is so evil. He doesn't give a shit. He's not leaving. He's setting up roost. He's putting his web in this building. He's for there to stay and he's going to eat these women. And just the design of taking this like fluffy, cute kind of element of it and turning it into this visceral, spiny fucking anglerfish dorsal fin is so (laughs) cool. And then you turn it into a fucking spider like, dude. And it's so cool. And especially as a kid who grew up watching like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, where I see Toka and Razor, and I'm like, oh, I love this mutant shit. Dude, the fact that I didn't drink more toxic stuff is shocking to me. <laughs> Hoping to get some sort of superpowers. I told you I drank the mercury out of a thermostat when I was a kid, and I don't know how I'm alive. Like when I found out how toxic that was, I was like, I should be super dead. But yet here I am talking into a microphone in my garage with you. <laughs> <laughs> The love of my life. Yeah, right? What would I have done without you? What would I have been if I didn't have mercury poisoning? Isn't that a weird thought? <laughs> <laughs> I already have a doctorate degree. Imagine what I could have accomplished without this. Or what I would have been. Maybe I did get powers and I would have just been extra dumb. See? It's possible. So I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the other mutant gremlins. The first one that you really get a glimpse of is the vegetable gremlin, which I think might be why I'm vegan. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really did like that one. I forgot about him. He because he just I mean, he's kind of in the background of everything. Yeah. And it just is such a silly kind of reminds me of those paintings where you see like them redone in vegetables. Yeah. Which is amazing. I it's so interesting. But um and he's so great, like especially <laughs> when they add the cartoony sounds of the you know vegetables sprouting on him. Yes. And the fact that it doesn't make sense. There the stems are not in him. It it doesn't have to be. It, it's perfect the way it is. And he doesn't really. It's like a vegetable tray. Like yeah. it's not like they're not growing. Exactly. Right? But yeah, I like when the one of the gremlins like picks the one off of him and eats it. And then he makes the martini. Yeah. They almost did that gag twice. So Microwave Marge, she actually had a scene where she plucked off an olive and put it in her martini. And then she like looks back and realizes that it was alive and screams and runs away. Mm. So much better with the gremlin at the bar. like Because mm. even though it's a callback and it heralds back to the first one with the, the bar scene, I, I love the parable because you get to the point of satirizing the original, which we will definitely get into. But I have to focus on the mutant gremlins. I'm going to have some structure to this episode. Sorry. I swear to God. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's mine because this is... This is why people have asked me, like, what, when are you going to finally do Monster Squad? I can't. <laughs> it isn't happening. And this movie is a, a great thesis statement as to why I can't do these things. Because, like, if I didn't have this movie, I don't think I love film the way I do. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I might just be a guy who gets way more into hockey and is done. But, like, dissecting this film and figuring out like, how they did that and, and did they sculpt this? Like you even asked, do you think that's silicone? And I was like, oh my God, I love this film so much. It's the essence of my being. Because like that's what I was sitting there thinking. Like, do you think that's foam latex? Do you think this is rubber? Like I loved doing that. And it added a whole element that I didn't get in other movies. Like I loved action movies. Mm. But there's no question how Lethal Weapon is done. It's just done. Where this is just fun throughout. So next Gremlin, Brain Gremlin by Tony Randall. What do you think? Okay, so I was going to say that he was my favorite, but then it kind of just seems like, you know, easy. Like he's an easy one to get attached to because he is, like you were saying, like he kind of becomes the leader. And and so it's just like, well, nothing was different about his design. Like he was just smart. They put a pair of glasses on him yep. and he was just smart and, and was able to. Suit. Yes, that is true. How the fuck does he have a nicer tailored suit than me? I'm a partner <laughs> of a law firm. That's stupid. <laughs> So, like I was saying, the brain gremlin is plucky and and funny, and I like the the accent that they did, and you know it was great. But I just, like I said, it, it felt like that was going to be too easy of an answer, and I didn't want to be like that person who was just like, oh. Well, he was an amazing actor, and he like he did stage and theater, and so he was such a voice. I mean, he was an odd couple. He was in Inherit the Wind, which you know I'm obsessed with. Like I, I really enjoy his character, and it's so funny how 
he's essentially just a Cheshire cat until the very end when he's basically mm-hmm. their rallying cry. Right, right. And so it's fun because it goes to that fourth wall breaking of being able to point out the absurdity when he's sitting there like talking about buying stocks and shotgun shells and, and canned food and when he's talking about everything else that goes on. So I love him because he gets to be such a character. And the end image, spoiler heavy, when he's singing New York, New York as a skeleton vomiting over itself. Like that is you juxtapose to suck it, Adrian. I use the word juxtapose again. When you juxtapose that with the cute little gizmo, it's as far as you get. And I just love that. It was nice seeing him, that little cute little, little gizmo again. And gizmo gets so much cuter in this, right? He has yeah. kind of creepy, weird alien nipple mouth in the first one. And then this one yeah. is just. Well, and I think that goes to like the advancement kind of like of all the creatures and the puppetry and the facial features of these creatures in this movie are incredible. Like the, the amount of detail that you see in their movements and their speaking is incredible. And it's not all just blown up versions. Cause if you've seen the original, you know, the, they had the gizmo that was the tiny thing. Then they had a huge fucking head to do the emotive faces and all those elements. And in this, you can't do both and, right. and transpose those images the way that they did. And so just like you're saying, it's spectacular. And each one has its own gag, which just makes it so much more fun. And, you know, I kind of I've gone back and forth with the brain gremlin because I've always kind of like eh, there's nothing like you said, there's nothing new about him except for his suit. But then I kind of like that in my older age because I was like, oh, why doesn't he have like a wrinkled brain or something like that? But I like the fact that it just shows, you know, they are very intelligent creatures. It's just one step aside, mm-hmm. right? It just kind of reminded me of like the most interesting man in the world. Yes. Uh, those commercials where you just take a guy and then make him the most interesting man in the world or universe or whatever it is. And same person, yeah. just a little bit of different a voice and somehow seems wiser. <laughs> yeah, he's very beguiling. And then, but, uh, but he's also got the impulsivity and then, but then not. Like when he deliberately shoots the one who has the, the hat propeller when he's being interviewed by Grandpa Fred. And he's like, so why did I do that? So it does, it, you know, you simultaneously have the chaos and the everything. It's just really interesting to see. Next is a very, very tough contender for my favorite, which is the Bat Gremlin, which is spectacular. Some people call it the Gargoyle Gremlin. I don't know why, because it is a Bat Gremlin that ends up kind of becoming a Gargoyle. But wow. I think because of that final image of it becoming a Gargoyle is like so, I don't know. I don't know how to. It's so somber and solemn, right? There's no gaff that it's not silly. And it's like it's a severely like serene moment. And then it just goes back to fucking around. Chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just made me think of, of course, as most things do, our, our children. And um, how the little one looks like Quasimodo. No, oh, no, sorry. no. <laughs> that, the Christmas Gargoyles book that we were reading. Oh, to she her. loves it. Yeah. And so anyway. Yeah, and then it's also got you know a, a reference to something else that was sacrosanct in my household as a kid, which was Batman. Which you know I know that yes. that's silly, I know it's stupid, but I love that reference every yeah. time. And it's you were literally like, wait, wait for it, wait for it, it's here, you're gonna miss it. <laughs> you were like, I have a phone in my hand. Fuck off with yourself. <laughs> the Electric Gremlin. You love the Electric I Gremlin. I do. I really like that character. It's super fun. The original ending would have been they would have filled the building with concrete and sealed them up. No, not fun. This is fun. It's exciting and frenetic. This goes more with the the overall feel of the movie. Yeah. You know, it just is silly and kind of out of the box. Yeah. And so if they just would have poured concrete in there and just left it, boring. Yeah. Well, I like this movie in a lot of ways I describe it compared to the original because I do really like the original, which is one of the things that make it so spectacular how much more I like this one than it uh, because it's analog to digital. You know, the analog being like, you know, you have this very, it's like listening to an old cassette mm-hmm. tape or listening to your old vinyl records and it has a warmth to it and has a fullness of sound and you have a little experience. But this is the digital age, baby. This is fucking video <laughs> killed the radio star MTV. We're hopping, we're bopping. And so what kills it? But electricity, like it's plugging it in and cranking it up to yep. 11. And the fact that they're a creature of their own demise and it's this self-sabotage, but they self-sabotage constantly. They're killing each other with flashes and stuff. And so they're shooting each other multiple times. I, it's just delightful. Next, Greta or 
Gremlina, depending on what card you collected as a child in the movie, actually does not have a name uh, and is not credited as anything. So what do you think of this character? Maybe this is why I'm trans progressive, because I saw this as a kid. (laughs) Maybe. Bravo for, you know, if that perpetuated that. (laughs) I think that she has a great design. It's just silly. You know, it just... You have to make it comical by having like the extra big lips and the, you know, and, you know, if someone wants to be feminist and be like, oh, well, she had to be, you know, like over the top or whatever. It's just supposed to be silly. I mean, that's just me. Yeah. But, you know. Well, that's one of the things when you deal with a fast pace, I'm much more accommodating when it comes to stereotypical depictions because it's an archetype. We're moving on. And this movie moves way too fast for you to sit there and go, oh, and so um, she she started having her period and then she talked to her mom about it and she was wearing a sweater and she was sad and then she grew into her body. No, she has tits and right, calves right, right. and lips. That's it. Like, let's just move on. <laughs> so that one's, I, I very much agree. And I think the last one I wanted to talk about in terms of the mutants was Mohawk becoming the spider. That one, it's usually it's bat and mohawk that get into it because it's just that design is so mm-hmm. fucking cool why am i thinking i'm thinking back to the other movie that we did where he also turns into a giant spider oh it ticks it, it's not a it's not a spider it's an arachnid so you're close so i'll give you that but the guy who played carlton and fresh prince we call him panic because i never do i remember these because unlike you i have to listen to them seventeen thousand times and i edit <laughs> yeah it wasn't um wasn't very good <laughs> wasn't leprechaun oh shit there what is that is that a secret theme we've had because we also did mimics so we've done all bug stuff <laughs> well that's just my own you're preference right. but yeah you're entirely right when we did leprechaun for uh in space yes that's the one that i'm thinking about wow i hmm maybe it's because you're my queen and i'm your little <laughs> soldier and that's hilarious i love it Um, So, yeah, it does remind me of that. And I think that it's awesome. I love the fact, like I said, I love that it just completely detours. It's not about like because Stripe seems to want to procreate and Mm. and consume. He doesn't care about that. Right. A very staunch detour. He wants to torture Gizmo and he wants to take things from him. Just evil. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. We've talked about that. My favorite villains are the ones who are just evil. I don't care, Rob Zombie. I don't need Michael Myers to be a fat kid with issues. I don't fucking care. I just want people to be bad and be good. And Mohawk is just so bad. We don't need a reason. Oh, so good too, right? And so there's you know a lot of talk when it comes to the depiction of the Mogwai in this, why they're so different than the Mogwai from the other. Because these ones actually each are individual, whereas the ones from before are basically just gizmos made Copy, over and over again. Right, right. And so- it had always read this way to me, and I don't know if it reads that way to you, but when the water that Gomez Adams shoots out of the drinking fountain <laughs> yeah. hits Billy's painting, it goes down the painting, goes past his colors, and drops down into Gizmo. Mm-hmm. I always took that as the colors from the painting were creating different colors. Oh, goodness. That is quite... You didn't? It, no, that is very... You read into that. Uh, I just thought it was water. Well, then and I thought it was just part of this movie just yeah. being... Uh, the next step, right? Yeah. Well, there, it, apparently in the script, it was meant to go further, but they just, the technology and everything was mm. kind of difficult to effectuate. But mm. yeah. And so, I don't know. I love it. Please leave your message for. Adrian, it's Jake, your co-host from Slashers. Remember I told you I was going to call you about a commercial idea? Well, this is that commercial. I'm leaving. This is the commercial that it is. This is it. So everybody should go to Redbubble and look at the Slashers pod bullshit, and they'll find stuff that they could buy with money. And so this is the commercial. Okay, bye. Let's move on to something else. Uh, Let's talk about the cast. How about that? Because... I'm not doing the whole structure. I'm doing whatever I want because this is my episode. This is my self-indulgent bullshit episode where I talk about a movie obsessively. I feel like I, ha- you know that I have a type, especially after seeing this movie with my reaction to Marla where I'm like, look, I get it, dude. Like, Billy, you like your girlfriend or fiance or whatever she is. But Marla's over here like spitting game and she's got red hair. Like, you're making the wrong choice, dude. I disagree with you. What? wholeheartedly i mean i 
not with your obsession of redheads. Okay. But, Just say, um, <laughs> but that he should have ended, <laughs> that he should have like pursued her, not his girlfriend or fiance. Just because, I don't know, I didn't like her character very, Marla's character very much. Maybe it was just the incessant like smoking. And I I know it was like supposed to be part of her character and of the time, I guess. Yeah. Seems like everyone depicted in that, you know, era was smoking and just being extra. <laughs> yeah, she's living in New York minutes. She's right. got her shoulder pads. And- right. But I think that's an easy way for a film director or whoever to show like stress, how stressed she was or or supposed to be stressed. So I don't know. I don't care for her character as far as like being the love interest. So I'm glad that she wasn't. Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, I like uh, strong, independent, (laughs) orderly, particular redheaded ladies. So (laughs) think if you held up a certain lens to yourself, you might see aside from the nicotine addiction. But uh, yeah, with you, I, I like the nicotine as well because of the fact that it, it creates a clear I disparity. Do, okay, I do really like her case, how it had the lighter, the lighter yes. in the case. I know it's probably really stupid, but I thought that was... Well, it's like so ingrained in her identity, like it has to be. But it's a great contrast with Billy and, you know, and Katie because they're these quaint people and right, he's from like a has, small town exactly he has this like kind of like like sneer of disgust when she's smoking and so it's just another like a way of evoking like this is so not what you're supposed to want and there i was just hormones abound and slathering over myself but what do you think of phoebe cates in this movie compared to the first she's the girlfriend with the silly hat i honestly didn't really think of her in the first one okay like i just Maybe that's only because I have, I mean, I haven't seen the original in such a long time. She was kind of forgettable to me, but. Yeah. It's like the odd point. It's because we talked about like fast times in Richmond High. She's like the babe in the red right. bikini. And then these, she's, she's meant to be so like homely. And, and Right. But she's still like attractive. She's still like, you know, there's nothing like that she's hideous or anything. It's mm-hmm. not like that ready player one with like, oh my God, she had a wine spot birthmark on her face. She's a monster. And then in the movie, she just looks like she has like a smear of ketchup. But in this, I think she does a good job. And I really love it is so fucking dark when they make the joke about Abraham Lincoln's birthday (laughs) as a parody to the first one. Again, making fun of the movie that came before it and that moment. Because if you listen to what she's saying, she's talking about being a child being flashed in a park. But just the fact that she was tortured on every holiday, I really wish that this movie took place on a holiday specifically. I know you want this to be a Halloween or a Christmas movie. It is not. (laughs) No, I'm actually truly I'm pretty grateful that it's not because we talked about that on the Gremlins episode many moons ago, which was that I didn't watch Gremlins because I don't really like, you know, holiday films anytime that it's not that holiday. Like I'm not watching Independence Day in March. It's not happening. And so when it comes to that one, I've probably seen it a fifth as many times as I've seen this movie because I've probably watched this movie over a hundred times. Mm. Not even exaggerating. Zach Galligan, Billy Peltzer. Do you like him? Do you love him? Do you want more of him? Is he negligible? Who? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah. He's just a means to an end. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was just like, okay, we need a continuation of characters from the first. So let's bring him back kind of situation. Yeah. It makes me sad. He like Zach Galligan. I really like him in movies and stuff. I, I don't know why he didn't become Ferris Bueller. Like Matthew mm. Broderick fucking killed someone. This guy didn't. Why, <laughs> why isn't he fucking famous as all hell? But yeah, I really like the character, but I like he's I have nostalgia, but I think this is a well acted part. And I think that he definitely gets a lot better in this movie at depicting the character and the struggle because Billy just has aspirations in the other one. Then he's just kind of like stuck in a rut. Whereas here he's so hungry for a world he hates. And so it's just weird, even at the very end, when you have Clamp being like, oh, what's this? It's Kingston Falls this is my hometown. And he's even like kind of wary of being involved in business with this guy. And yet he's like, literally bled with this man it's i don't know it's very interesting to well, me and, she, and like the his girlfriend phoebe not that's not her name in the movie phoebe cates is the actress and then the character is kate Berenger. yeah okay or katie she's like the one going to bat for him like oh yeah that is where we're from and this is our hometown and yes this is you know and so that's why he asked like oh is this your wife 
And she's like, yes, I mean, mm-hmm. going to be, you know. But you see, after you, this, you say that he picked the wrong girl, but Marla would have done the same thing. So, boom, because she was literally doing that. So I'm just saying you just gave an example of why she was perfect for him. And then you have a redheaded version of that. But I'll move on. Uh, Robert Prosky as Grandpa Fred. I fucking love this character. He, so I do, too. So much because it is so funny to me. The depiction of vampire news guy, <laughs> you know, I just I love the absurdity and it's so weird like i ended up kind of becoming this guy in a weird way where i'm like heavily tattooed and then i wear a suit and i pretend to be a real person and i've always loved that juxtaposition of like being a ghoul and then also being a contributing member of society and he's so charming (laughs) and like it's it's jack's lament that's exactly i think one of the things i love Mm. when he's sitting there and billy has this stupid bat on a string and he's like you know i was gonna got into broadcasting so i want to get the news yeah i was like holy shit Danny Elfman, come over here. Sing this man a song. Let's get this going. Bada bing, bomb, boom. Sir Christopher Lee. Oh, that's right. One of the reasons this movie's better <laughs> is it has a knight in it. Do I need to say more? Dr. Catheter. <laughs> he's so funny. He's so funny. Like when he's asking for, for diseases. Just his name. Yeah. So just it just speaks to this movie. It's just supposed to be fun and funny yeah. and silly and just enjoyable. You want to know another fun fact? Yes. And I didn't see this on any fucking IMDb or any bullshit. If you know your hammer horror, like I am obsessed with, you will know when Christopher Lee is playing Dr. Cushing catheter, that's an homage to Peter Cushing, who was his foil in, let's say, Frankenstein, the hammer horror film. Oh. He played Frankenstein's monster. Cushing played Frankenstein, the guy. And what's great about the hammer films is that Frankenstein, the guy, is the character you follow in the sequels. So good. I would love to be self-indulgent and just gush over just that series of Hammer. Uh, But unfortunately, our metadata would suck dicks. (laughs) Moving on, uh, we'll do Robert Picardo, the dude from Star Trek Voyager, who plays the shitty guy who's a forester who ends up getting, uh, you know, getting it on with Greta. (laughs) His character was just talk to you about not caring for the ending with that his character but i do like you know just the hard ass security guard that's what he just reminds me of like just so with someone who's let power go to his head a little bit and just (laughs) from this movie he is supposed to be making sure that the building is running smoothly correct right working out the kinks yep he's the one the right hand man if you will Yes. And he he is generously rewarded. He's with the man day. behind the scenes. Yeah. He gets a, a half day off once this is all over, <laughs> <laughs> which is just so great. I did like that back and forth. You can have a full day off. Oh, say a full day. Oh, half day. Yeah. And so I mean, I love the character. I love this level of involvement with Billy because there are deleted scenes where he's basically riding Billy's ass the whole movie. And it's not necessary. Yeah. And honestly, the scene in the control room is so good. It catches everything up to speed because this movie could be so exhausting with Billy being like, I was just, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Yes, you're crazy. I'm not crazy. Right. Oh, you get two glimpses back. And then they also get to make fun of the rules they are abiding by, which you got to love. I liked that control room scene a lot. Yeah. Just perfect. Where they're all like, ah, ha, ha, this is so, you know, let me hang on. You're telling me that <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then it pops out and bites him right in the neck. Yeah. And well, and then it punches him too with this very comedic. <laughs> and, and then just scampers on off. And I, I love that because it's just, there's, it's all killer, no filler. Like this movie is super tight. Uh, and there are so many like the deleted scenes and stuff like there's a great going back to Grandpa Fred. There's a great scene where he doesn't realize that they are monsters. He thinks they're props. And Joe Dante is directing him. So he's making a cameo. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a little bit long, but it's only like four or five minutes. And that could have easily stayed in. But mm. obviously I'm the guy who's like, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater with this film. But every other film, I'm like, if it's more than 90 minutes, die. Right. Right. I should also mention uh, Charlie Haas, the director, or Charles, whatever. He had a cameo as Christopher Lee's assistant. So since I mentioned Joe Dante's, I had to mention his, I guess. Mm. Equity. And speaking of cameos, let's talk about a couple other ones. You got Hulk butt fucking Hogan, uh, racist 
and uh, exploiter of his daughter sexually. But because of this movie, because of how poorly he aged, I think it ages better in the movie because of the shammy archetype that he depicts. What do you think? (laughs) I just rolled my eyes when I saw him. I'm like, really? I mean, it's perfect for this when the movie was made. Yeah. You know, and for the kind of over the top nature of this film. I, but having seen the extra scene that is on the Blu-ray where it shows the interruption, I would have much rather seen the wild West gremlins. Personally, this one's way more derivative of the first with the seven dwarves in the theater and everything. Mm. So I, I really do like that John Wayne one a lot. I mean, it's not just the fact that it's new and exciting to me. I think that it's it works a little bit better, but it's also it feels a little bit longer. But yeah, it did. The Hogan's cameo actually has a great callback to real life. This is art imitating life because during a screening, a mom dragged her kid out of the theater and tried to confront Joe Dante. But, you know, how dare you show something this scary? Because you'll recall, I think I've told you this a thousand times. Gremlins helped create the PG-13 rating scale because it was so severe. That movie in Temple of Doom. And so the, you know, the punchline of that story is as she's sitting there trying to confront Joe Dante, her kid runs off and hides under a chair in the theater because she wants to keep watching the movie. <laughs> and so that's one of the things when the kids sit there screaming, like, but I want to watch Kremlins. That's it's fun. Uh, you also had Leonard Maltin, who notoriously gave the first movie two out of four stars, which mm. is a pretty criminally low rating, gave this one three out of four stars because, it, you know little tongue in cheek, but he also chided them for a tactless uh, cameo. He didn't say who it was, but it was himself. And I think it's very funny. <laughs> what do you think? Do you like the breaking of the fourth wall with him reviewing the movie in the movie? I don't. It was forgettable, apparently, for me. Yeah. Well, okay. I think because I didn't know who it was, it just it was kind of like ah, another silly thing. Yeah. You know. If this would have been Siskel and Ebert, this would have been amazing. (laughs) But if I'm not mistaken, Siskel and Ebert both really liked the original. So I think the fact that they call like that takes brass balls to call a guy who didn't like your movie. Like, hey, you want to be in my movie? (laughs) (laughs) But and it's awesome. So we'll move on to the other. I guess that we can go in reverse chronological and do the statistics. So the movie came out June 15th, 1990. It actually spawned a Nintendo game, which I was telling you, like if you play it you know a lot of games at the time especially when it was licensed games were just a game that got a new faceplate right but this game has certain elements that are clearly derived from the story like there are bouncing tomatoes which is a callback mm. to the splice of life when they're talking about that so whatever that came out later uh this is a huge failure this movie bad budget of 50 million dollars box office of 41.5 million dollars when you factor in marketing and everything that's really really bad that is bad really bad but home video did help that quite a bit and cable TV helped that quite a bit. But yeah, that's a, a truly gut wrenching thing to see. Why? Well, why do you think that happened? I, I, I don't understand it. I think it, like it's too severe a derivation from the original, I guess. I know for sure. My, I don't think my parents would have let me watch this as a child. But would they let you watch the original? Because the original is just as bad. No. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit more sex and violence in this, but uh, you know, it's this one's way funnier too. That's one of the things. Is how yeah, old are we? When we what this would be you? three years old. Oh yeah, well, for sure not saying it, obviously, but yeah, I was way too young to have seen this, but it was funny and it had Gizmo in it, and that's one of the things emblematic of the time. You know, Gizmo uh, likens himself to John Rambo. Rambo had a fucking <laughs> cartoon show. Yeah, which was actually the only person who ever gets shot in Rambo. Is We're going to have to Rambo. lose the headband. Now he likes the headband. Yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> we didn't even talk about Clamp. God damn it. I need to go back because I really love John Glover as uh, Daniel Clamp. Delightful. Yes. Such a breath of fresh air, especially, you know, when you deal with so many archetypes in this film, mm. you have a guy who's actually kind of complex. Right. The billionaire with a heart who's just ambitious and just kind of extra like me, you know, because <laughs> Everything online, it's like, oh, well, he's, he's bottled after Donald Trump. And blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see him way more as Ted Turner, but obviously, whatever. But I've, he's so charismatic and likable. I mean, I can't really think of a... So that's why it's so good that you have Forster, the shit heel, right. who's the bad guy, who's like the enforcer. Um, so, sorry. Going back to the budget and everything, I had, had to detour my detour. 
but going to the budget, I, I don't understand how people don't like this movie. But is it, do they like it now? You know, like, cause it was, it, is it more successful now than when it was first released? Correct. And does this film have a larger following than the first, do you think, or? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think the original, it's also the sentimentality and nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I think we're also just getting to the era where a lot of people our age, right, we right. were kids when this was out. And also you have stuff like Cavity Colors and Mondo and all of these things that are celebrating 80s cinema and well, not even just 80s, but, you know, like the kitschiness of it and the celebration of it where it's fun. And it's also fun that it failed because then, you you know, you have people like me who I I advocate for this movie Mm -hmm. because I feel like I always have to dig it out of a hole, you know, over the span of all the releases and stuff. Like, I'm sure it made money in the long, long, long Have you talked to my mom about this movie? I Yeah. What did she think? Does she remember it? Doesn't remember it. Yeah. At all. She's the one with the gizmo dogs. But yeah. that was from the first movie. But I totally understand how people can prefer the first one. But to just disregard this one at all, I think that's at a certain point, it's disingenuous. Mm. Because even if you don't like what they do with the story, even if you don't like the characters, even, like it is a masterpiece of conception. Like, I think that is probably the biggest frustration with this movie is it's it's this movie like galaxy quest like a few other ones where it's like mm. this movie's way ahead of its time and you're not going to appreciate this for a long long time yeah and when people finally get it they're like oh holy shit like how did that how was did that not blow up the earth um there's also going back jerry goldsmith had come back into the music from the first one to this one he also has a cameo forgot to mention that he does everything. He, if you don't know who Jerry Goldsmith is, look him up and you'll be like, oh my God, he did the music for the 13th Warrior instead of that weird techno soundtrack. Go, Gotta listen to the old episodes, folks. I, I commit all this <laughs> shit to my brain sometimes. Then you had the film was at Amblin Entertainment Productions. So Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy were listed as producers for this film. Kathleen Kennedy, you might remember Buttfuck Star Wars. Awkward. I, I love how much people hate new Star Wars. It makes me so happy. <laughs> But then everybody loves Mando, so. Yep. How do you think the gremlins would treat Grogu Baby Yoda? Oh, my gosh. Grogu Kaka. I think that he would be more of a mogwai. Yeah, he's too cute. Yeah. He's mischievous, though. Yeah, like when he was eating the eggs. And the fucking frog. I, I forgot about that. In the first <laughs> season, like when he's talking yeah. to like the gross-looking dude, yeah. get that out of your mouth, and he slurps it down. <laughs> Gizmo was a little mischievous as well. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I think he would fit in. Speaking of Gizmo, we didn't talk about Howie Mandel from Little Monsters, from Deal or No Deal, from Bobby's World, basically <laughs> the same voice he does. Do you like Gizmo in this movie? Because he's way l- more and less featured than in the first. Yeah, I do. I don't like the silly headband. I think that should be lost. I would have to agree with what's his face. Clamp. Thank you. But... I don't think that I think that he played I think he was in the film the perfect amount. Like I don't think that he needed to be in the film more. I don't think that he needed to be in the film less. I think he was in the film as necessary. Yeah. It's he's a recognizable character, right? Yeah. So it b- bridges the last movie to this movie and um He's also a plot device. So right. for the first half of the movie, like you have a brief snippet of sentimentality. And then he becomes a plot device. And then he has like a redemption story, which is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think I thought like the torture was a little bit silly. I mean, I this is supposed to be a silly movie. Yeah. But, you know, there were some parts that I just kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, okay, we're moving forward. You know, let's go. And, <laughs> you know, when they, I know that you chided me for laughing at Rambo, but I thought that was just a little silly. That's, and, uh, that's the point, though. That's the cable TV I know, generation. I know, that's Ted I Turner, know. baby. That's TBS and TNT and all that fun stuff. It fits in the movie. I just, you know, you just have to roll your eyes and just laugh. That's one of the things I think is really funny is there's a certain pride that a lot of people have with being a VHS horror person. But like there's not a whole lot of pride of like being the cable TV horror person. <laughs> and that's why like, I've talked to you about this for years, like my love of Monster Vision and Joe Bob mm, and stuff like mm. I loved that. And, you know, so a lot of my early horror was somewhat censored. But I mean, really, it was just sex. I mean, like I talked to you, I vividly remember walking home from school and watching RoboCop and getting to the scene where the guy gets liquidated and explodes and being like, oh, they're, certainly they're not going to show that. You know, they censor out the word shit, but then they let a guy get liquefied in an afternoon. And so that's one of the things where 
the, this, you know, having the cable TV elements is so fun. And there's even a deleted scene where, you know, the, on the voiceover, it talks about playing It's a Wonderful Life colorized, but you actually see Clamp watching a screen and turning up the color. And it's very funny. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I'm all over the place, but I love it. Uh, since we're giving, we gave credence to Howie Mandel, we have to, we have to give credence to Frank Megatron Welker. You, you might remember he did the voice of Cujo and the Graboids and uh, Megatron and the thing. Um, shall I go through everything that he's done? The guy has done a tremendous amount. He was the gopher in Caddyshack. Remember that movie <laughs> D- Deep Rising with the tentacle monsters that we watched that didn't age well? He was in that. Uh, he was in the Emperor's New Groove. He did the sound of the dragonfly, the Black Panthers, and the Black Jaguars. I mean, Jesus Christ. He did the voice of Scooby-Doo and Fred. He did the voice of Max the dog from The Grinch. <laughs> so, yeah, literally, if you had a childhood, you definitely have heard Frank. And so he plays Mohawk. What do you want? What it was the question? Sorry. There wasn't a question. I was just expecting you to pick up on my high energy and go, oh, yes, he is great. And I love the fact that he's in this movie and we can move on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you were asking me if I liked him in it. And I was just <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Um Mohawk voice of it was fantastic. This is a piece of resistance. <laughs> okay. Oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> je suis là, je uh, so for those of you who don't know, I torture my wife anytime French is mentioned in our household at all <laughs> by bringing up the commercial for Muzzy. If you've never heard of it, it was a audio tape method of learning French for children, much like a Rosetta Stone. Yeah. And the gal who is in the commercial for it was the substitute for one Beverly Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation. Guess what? Beverly Crusher? Hot redheaded lady. (laughs) Are you you picking up a theme here? Did you know that these gremlins were featured in not one but two amusement park rides? No. So not in North America. So don't feel like you missed out. But I went on a deep dive with these for a while. And I've watched every home movie I could find on YouTube about them where like they're ride through. So there was one in Australia and there was one in Germany. Hmm. In one version, they combat Beetlejuice. Then they kind of befriend him. I think I've told you about this. I had to. No, I I think I did. I hear do go on about this anyway. Well, that would make sense because the other one was in Australia. Yeah, maybe. And so one of them, he the gremlins torture Alf, which I think is just yeah, a, a no. great juxtaposition. I think that Alf replaced Beetlejuice. Well, there was two different ones at different times because they actually had a stage show that involved Beetlejuice in one of them. But still, okay. the, the shows, or the, both rides existed and they changed okay, maybe. each ride. So, okay. Because they existed for quite a while. I think I for sure listened to a do go on about this. But anyway, Fuck. yes. I need. I feel like I need to pull out my phone and listen to a podcast in the middle of my podcast. <laughs> I fucking love the idea so much. But you can actually watch clips, and it's very funny. Like the, you know, the back and forth with Alf and the Gremlins because it's just the level of absurdity is amazing. Right. I think that's what they were saying. It was just like the weirdest ride that you could possibly think of. Yeah. Like why? Anyway, it makes a little bit more sense with Beetlejuice because they. Not, there's no rules for them. Like there are very strict rules and at the same time there are no rules, right? Like you have the one gremlin who gets shot and can drink the formula that goes out and he, because he's alive, people believe that he's like a mutant gremlin because he's like bulletproof, but you're obviously not bulletproof if you have holes in yourself, but because they can do those more cartoony elements, right? but then Beetlejuice can do the same thing by literally turning into an amusement park ride. Mm. Yeah, pretty great. Pretty big fan. Well, Guess we'll just have to time travel and come back to Australia. <laughs> Good eye, mate. What are you? What's all this then? What? I turned British. Didn't like it. <laughs> so do you have any questions for me about anything so that you can have more sound on the episode? Because I can already, I can hear myself groaning in frustration in the future about how much I spoke because I was so excited about this movie. I just love your excitement. <laughs> It just makes me happy. It's a great movie because it fires on all cylinders for me. Like it has horror elements that I love. Oh, oh, didn't mention Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) Of course. So (laughs) some people who've listened to this show die hard know basically my love of like horror cinema 
and, and like becoming and uh, you know somewhat of an authority on the craft, I guess, was because of Phantom of the Opera because I love the Andrew Lloyd Webber soundtrack and I actually got to see the you know, stage play and it was wonderful. And I, this was like I was three. And I went to my elementary school and they had Phantom of the Opera book and it was with Lon Chaney Jr. And that's considered a universal monster film. And so I will then go from there into all of the others, the Frankensteins, the Wolfmans, the Frankensteins meeting the Wolfmans. And so you have like that very nostalgic formulative element of my life. You have silliness. You have literary references. You have the most disgusting recipes I've ever heard of. <laughs> God, those are so good. <laughs> and we just we talked about it. Just like the simplicity. Like there's the archery channel, and it's just a guy dressed like Errol. Flynn. I think I really liked that. Those like very like fleeting. You only kind of see them in the background, kind of things of the, all the different channels that are at this studio. And it's just a glimpse into all this stuff going on. Hey, what was the other one? The archery channel. There was like the safety. Well, that's where the guy comes out like covered in bandages. Yes. Yeah. So good. Think what 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 is your earliest memory of watching this movie? I'm sorry, I'm only going to get to you to talk more. So <laughs> um, my earliest memory. I this like predates my cognitive memory. You know. Even my earliest memories, like I, I know I've seen this because it would have come out before we were three years old. So I, I certainly remember. I know I've seen this before I started school. <laughs> so I had to have been three or four. Wow. And uh, yeah, my, my dad let me watch a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't have. But you know, he was always really good about. You know, I never really got all that scared. But I don't think I. I looking back at my movie going experiences and stuff. You know, he did leave me to my own devices by the time I was like six, just watch whatever I wanted. And there was never a question about it. But in the formative elements of me watching these things, it was always like, oh, yeah, like, well, look at this. Like, look at the technical element here. So it never was severe to me because there's always a technical like, oh, look at the armature or or look at this or how do you think they effectuated that? So this movie never scared me. I loved that it was scary, but it never scared me, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, I this predates my like memory of being a human being. And uh, what's your earliest memory of seeing this film? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it would have to be well last week. Yep, and then again this week. <laughs> uh, now it, there there have been talks for years, years about Gremlins three, and Joe Dante insisting we're gonna do real puppetry, we're not gonna do CGI and everything. That's literally gone on for at least seven years, if I'm not mistaken. What would you want to see in a Gremlins sequel? I guess a Gremlins sequel sequel. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't think I want to see it, to be honest with you. I just, I mean, maybe just for the character design, just to see what they would do with the Gremlins as far as, you know, with the technology that we have today yeah. and just the makeup and things like that. Truly, that's the only reason I would even consider watching something like that again. Just because I feel like you had the first movie. It told us the story of the gremlins, right? Yeah. And the Mogwai and, and everything. This one was just fun and silly. And mm -hmm. yes, it expanded on the story, but in a fun way that was appropriate to the time when it was made. So I can't even imagine a gremlins movie today yeah. and what that would <laughs> what that it would even look like i feel like so with bill and ted face the music that wasn't like a triumph and an accomplishment mm. for not being shitty mm. right but then you have stuff like and i don't care you know if people know i love henson and henson's work but the new dark crystal stuff sucks i hate it it's awful it's god awful to look at the story yeah. doesn't make any sense it's stupid and so those are like my two you know frames that's my stage left my stage right yeah. now i know and, and when you put those buffers on the other side i feel like the best case scenario for this movie is i don't hate it you know like bill and ted face the music i liked it but like it wasn't anything new it was very much a retread and it was just like a like it's the equivalent of like a deleted scene to me mm. and i feel like that's the best case scenario i could get out of a gremlins 3 is like oh it, it's familiar enough and good enough where i just kind of you know it's fine Right. But I really don't know. I would be very surprised if I would like a third one. I would take a lot. And so I've tried to think of story elements. The stuff that they've proposed is like, well, if these monsters keep killing people whenever Gizmo gets wet, should Gizmo exist? 
yeah, the idea of like killing Gizmo, that's not fun though. No. The only thing that would make that fun is if Gizmo ended up rising up with the gremlins and being like their figurehead. Or maybe Gizmo eats after midnight and makes that decision. But they're never going to do that. That doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, so that's one of the hard questions. It's odd because the source material is this movie that's very vague. And then you have like the novelization where there are aliens and all that stuff. I was just thinking of like, the, I could only imagine like, okay, maybe Katie and Billy get married and they have children and now it's like a family pet. Right. And so then it's like how, like the passing of the family pet, like, you know, like it's, it's his time. He's all old. And, wow. and that's dark in a different way to it. Well, that's the only, <laughs> that's the only way I can imagine like another movie going. Yeah. I could, but they're not going to kill Gizmo. That's what, when you said that, I'm like, okay, how could they really logically do that? And that's like the only thing. It's just like a old yeller, you know, kind of. How dare you? <laughs> that, how about this? We, we mix our two ideas and uh, Billy Jr. or Katie Jr. They're tasked with taking care of Gizmo, you know? The kid wants a dog. And they're like, okay, well, if you want a dog, you have to take care of Gizmo. And remember the three rules. And unbeknownst to the kid and unbeknownst to Gizmo feeds Gizmo after midnight, thus turning Gizmo into a gremlin. And they're trying to like help him cope with his new life as a gremlin after transitioning and being, <laughs> you know, like a monster, but still being the cute and cuddly Gizmo. Mm-hmm. Hey, Howie Mandel's still kicking. He's only 65. You can come back and do the voice. There you go. All right. I think we can definitely send that off to Joe Dante and company and get this moving. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, or can't, the, oh, never mind. Oh, yes, exactly. I forgot to completely mention that. Um, I had to wait until you had actually stayed awake through the entire movie before I could show you. The Key and Peel sketch about Gremlins 2 is amazing. Yes. It is amazing. It is so great because it both mocks and celebrates this film yes. and the absurdity of it. Yes. Do you care to recount what happens? So, it's like a board meeting with a bunch of movie uh what would you call them? Writers. Thank you. <laughs> I always feel so silly when I'm on these because I'm just like, what's that thing? Who's the person in the movie that actually writes the movie called? Oh, the writer? Oh, okay. Well, you're not obsessed with this. Like, you're a real person <laughs> with like real interests. I, but I just feel if silly. If I'm looking at anyway. my phone, it's probably about a movie that's 30 years old. If you're looking at our phone, it's like, oh, well, here's some cognitive development for our children. And I'm like, oh, it's- <laughs> but anyway, so they're sitting, there's a bunch of writers sitting around a table, all looking very 80s, right? Yeah. In their sweaters, the short glasses. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yes. Uh, but it's just like very somber. And then the, <laughs> this, what, what was his name? Star Magic Johnson Jr. <laughs> I did not remember that. But yes, Star Magic Johnson Jr. He comes in and basically is like, okay, this is Gremlins 2. (laughs) Why are we all sitting around with pouty faces? This is going to be an amazing movie. They sent me here to make sure that this wasn't a pile of shit. So we're just going to brainstorm Instead of brain, what did he say? Brain drizzle? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we're all going to come up with ideas. And they go around the table and they all get to make their own gremlins. And they come up with the bat gremlin and the spider gremlin. and The girl gremlin. uh, Yes. Coming from a female writer. And and it's just very silly and very fun. I really liked that. I wish that that would be on the DVD. It absolutely should be. (laughs) Undoubtedly, that absolutely should be. I feel like if you haven't seen it, you're doing disservice to this movie. And this this sketch has two great punchlines at the very end. When he says, all right, got to go. I have to go put Cowboys in Back to the Future 3. Hilarious. You could end there. <laughs> but then when Keegan says, none of that's going to be in the movie. And then he takes a slip of his coffee. And the subtitle is, all, all of this. Of is, I was like, God damn it. That's so true. Because that's, I feel like so often when I talk about movies, to be like if I tell you about all the stuff that happens in this movie, you're like, no, this did not happen. Yeah. That's like me describing the Giver when I was a kid to the guy at Warehouse. It's like, no, there is no movie where Mark Hamill is a detective <laughs> and some guy gets a, an alien spacesuit weapon. I love it. So, would you recommend this film to anybody else? Yeah. 
is this a classic, a trashic, or a tragic in your opinion? Trashic. God damn it. You're wrong, but I appreciate you. <laughs> what? Classic? Undoubtedly. Because of the satirism and because of the craft. Because the craft of being able to do what they accomplish in this film on a technical basis, on a conceptual but, but basis. This, as this compared to the first, like I would say the first is classic. This is not I understand your thinking, but I don't think that it's mutually exclusive. I think they can both be classics. And I think that that's a lot of it is the craft of, of filmmaking. And okay. that's one of the things it's like, I, I appreciate that. Like I, we talked about, I loved Justice League because it was fucking terrible, but it was amazing. They put anything out. I loved Rise of Skywalker for the same reason, because of like, dude, they, they achieved this. Yeah. Like, and so even where this movie I don't, I don't. I don't think it fails, but I obviously I'm. I'm not impartial when it comes to this movie. So, but that's what I'm saying. I think because of how it did in the box office and things like that, I think you have to. I don't. know. I'm looking at like the whole picture, not just my personal feelings. Okay, well, but if you use that thinking, then John Carpenter's The Thing isn't successful because that movie performed extra terribly at the box office. Like I said, I'm not just taking into consideration just how much it made. I'm just saying whole picture. Okay. And if I'm looking at the butthole picture, I love it. The whole thing is great. I know you I want to put my tongue in and around it. <laughs> but yeah, I I totally understand why you think it's a trash chick. And if, I don't think there's any harshness. You don't have to worry about being smothered with a pillow tonight. I, I can appreciate your opinion. I just, and like I said, I'm not a partial. I'm not impartial. I absolutely love this movie. Yeah. I'm not the guy. And this is, let this be a lesson to you all who've asked me to do other movies that I love because it's just not happening. <laughs> the, the closest I'm going to come to this is RoboCop because I have an advocacy speech that I need to. Pre- I've already prepared where I need to tell you all that RoboCop is a horror film. God damn it. And you will respect it as such. Do you have any closing remarks? Do you remember what your sign off is? It's been so long since you've been on the stupid show. Slash your leaner. Wow. Good job. Do you know what mine is now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I changed it. I changed it. Yes. Uh, so my name is Jake. My name is, or wait, saying... <laughs> I almost went into my old one. Why don't you go out there and do something in love? Uh, which is like four sentences. My new one is simply goodbye and good die. <laughs> it'd be, literally, it's the shortest thing I could fucking think of compared to my four sentence soliloquy. I literally just thought you were going to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and this is it. Goodbye. <laughs> I think I might change it. <laughs> Oh Jesus, guys, cough, what the fuck, it is your boy, Cyber Slash 1000, and I think I got a virus from a toaster I finger fucked at a New Year's party, I think she gave me Y2K or something, cough, I have been in bed for like, 3 weeks or whatever, I regret being built, I swear to Stephen Hawking, before I start throwing up servos and shit, I want to cue in this week's hidden track, the band is Saviors, and they are from Quebec, Canada, man. Not to get all political and shit, but I wish I had public healthcare right now. Cough. This song is called Glass Castle, and I fucking love it. It makes my heart drive engorged. You can find them all over the interwebs from Facebook to Deezer. Ha. More like. Deezer. Nuts. Am I right? Okay, I am going to go die in bed, so enjoy this track from Saviors. Glass Castle. Cough. (laughs) 